Well, good morning, everyone. Super excited to share the word that the Lord uh, laid on my heart this week. And um, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and just say, get ready, get ready. Maybe put a little soul in it. Come on. Get ready, get ready, get ready. You know, the series is all about this idea of hidden figures. And really, in many ways, we've been looking at this idea that these are individuals who find themselves out of sight. They find themselves as obscure. They find themselves as unexplained. And today I want to look at one woman whose impact went beyond just one generation, but actually carried out to really each and every one of us today. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 2 Kings chapter 11, 2 Kings chapter 11. You see, this uh, individual that we're going to be reading about right here is, is a lady who, without her story, without her obedience, without her um, pouring into the next generation, what we would see is we would see the messianic line, so that would be the uh, line of David and basically um, his whole family lineage that would lead to actually Jesus, the, 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 the tribe of Judah would have vanquished. It would have been completely erased. And God's promise to David as his seed would forever reign would actually have been in vain. It wouldn't have come to pass. See, the entire history of the world would be different because of this one woman's moment of obedience. But yet, this woman is actually often ignored. Many are ignorant to what she did and, and her impact. Her story is one of those gems hidden in the pages of Old Testament history, and it begins to unfold. Her story is breathtaking, it's heart-pounding, it's moments of intrigue and murder and mystery. I mean, it is, it is jam-packed. It's like a blockbuster movie unfolding on the pages of Scripture. Her name may seem foreign to many of us. In fact, first gathering, most people didn't even know the name of Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat, her story unfolds in 2 Kings chapter 11, but there's also a mirror of that in 2 Chronicles chapter 22 through 23, and you can read about that. And, and basically, 2 Kings and, and 2 Chronicles kind of sit on top of each other. It's, it's the same storyline that's unfolding, but just from a different perspective. One focuses in on Israel and on really going into the kings of Israel and really looking at those and the kings of Judah. Another focuses in just on the kings of Israel. And so Second Chronicles is both and Second Kings is actually just focusing on Israel. So we get a few more details. We get more details into David's life and so that kind of unpacks that here. But here we have um, Jehoshaphat. And her story really is interesting because she risked her life to actually save a young one. In fact, a, a young child that's only one years old. She does whatever she can to make sure that that one-year-old is actually saved from family, saved from others who are around her who actually want to bring harm. Now, Jehoshaphat, she is a princess, She's the daughter of King uh, Jerome of Judah. Now, her name means this, the Lord is great. And I hope you're following along with me because we're just going to jump right into this today. But she's married to the high priest whose name is Jedidah. Now, she loves the Lord. 
We just mentioned that she is the daughter of the king, King Jeroham, and he is actually the king of Judah. Now that would be the southern uh, kingdom. You have the northern kingdom. At this time, the northern kingdom actually is being controlled by Jehu, who is actually a godly man who God actually put into power and position to actually rid the land of Ahab and a woman by the name of Jezebel. How many of you ever heard of the name Jezebel? So the queen Jezebel, she is like, she's not the one you want to name your kids after. It would be like, you know, you don't see many kids going around saying, hey, my name's Hitler. You, you just don't like, because why? Because Hitler was someone that we, we you wouldn't name your kid that. Just like you don't name girls Jezebel. It's like, it's just kind of like, that just doesn't happen anymore. Now, the king here has become the king of Judah, and when his father, Jehoshaphat, was king of Judah as well, there was this co-regency, so they were, they were ruling together, and King uh, Jeroham, excuse me, uh, ends up taking the throne at the age of 32, and he reigns for eight years. Now, to secure his position, and this is crazy, okay? This is where that blockbuster film comes in. In order for him to secure his position, he kills his six brothers. So he's like, you know what? I don't want my brothers to get the throne or anything, so I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to wipe them all out. To bring unity between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, so the kingdom of Israel and the, and, and the kingdom of Judah, in order to bring actual unity, the king decides to marry Athaliah. Now Athaliah, or Athaliah, she is actually um, a very, very wicked queen, much like Jezebel. She follows in her husband's footsteps of thinking that she has to go to these disastrous steps to actually secure the throne. She's the granddaughter of Ormi, who is actually one of the nation of Israel's worst, most idolatrous, or idolatrous and evil kings ever. She's the daughter of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And what's interesting to note is that as Eliah, she actually is the only female ruler over Judah that we see. So she's the only one that actually rules over it, but how she actually becomes queen is one of those reasons why you would never want to actually name your kid as Elilah. Because what actually takes place is she actually has her grandchildren killed. See, her husband passes away, and when her husband passes away, she sees a moment for her to seize power. Her son then dies, and through that, her son then had heirs, which would have been the, her grandchildren. And so what happens is, is she orders that all of her grandchildren are killed. See, she's controlled by her need for power. She's controlled by her paranoia, and she develops this toxic mixture of control and hate that moves her to actually murder her own son's children to secure Judah's throne for herself. In fact, some scholars say she may have even gloated to the fact that she was actually wiping out the promise that David, his descendants, would be on the throne forever, which we know David's lineage leads to Jesus, which we know in this moment actually has a major impact on your life and on my life. 
So for six years, this evil queen finds herself as the ruler. For six years, she's the most villainous Disney character ever. Right? She's the one who had her own grandchildren killed. People are not going around naming their kids after her. She's evil. She's wicked. In fact, she's promoting a false god, which would be Baal worship. She says, let's set up a temple for Baal. We don't need the temple of the Lord. And so she sets up the temple of Baal. They're going to worship that. She's following in the footsteps of her mother and her father. But when Jehu is actually made king, he goes through and begins wiping everything out. And her story continues to unfold here in 2 Kings chapter 11. Now remember, her goal was to kill all those who could actually have a legitimate place on the throne. So 2 Kings chapter 11, here's what it reads. Now when uh, Athaliah, the mother of Asa, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, king of Isaiah, took Joash, the son of Isaiah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. So what happens? Well, basically, Jehoshaphat sees that the queen is murdering all of these children. And Jehoshaphat knows this is not right, and so she finds Joash, who's one years old. One years old. And she takes Joash and hides him in the temple. Now, as far as the queen is concerned, the queen thinks that all of the descendants, all those who were rightful heirs, she thinks they're all dead. She continues to worship Baal. She continues to go there. She never finds herself in the house of the Lord. Now, how many of you know if you were trying to keep a one-year-old secret and you had to keep them in church, that would be a pretty tough thing? Like, could you imagine the one-year-old starts crying, oh my goodness, keep them quiet. What would you do? What would you do in those moments of trying to make sure that you were protecting the very thing that God had called you to protect? goes on to say in the scriptures, thus they hid him from the queen so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord while the queen reigned over the land. So for six years, Jehoshaphat is hiding Joash before the queen. Literally, before the queen's own eyes. I mean, here is Joash in the temple, in the house of the Lord, but he's being hidden from the queen. And what we see right off the bat is this hidden figure who is then pouring into the next generation. See, she understands something. She understands the importance of pouring into the next generation. When I think of our leaders here at Bethany, and I think about the rich history, 75 incredible years of rich history here at Bethany, I think about individuals who have consistently poured into our kids. They're hidden figures. They're unexplained. They're obscure Many times we don't even recognize them. In fact, right now there are many of them who are actually back in Bethany Kids. I think of Heather Garcia and I think about Erica Ford and I think about other leaders in there. I think about uh, 
Grant and Barb Rossman, I think about Linda Brown, I think about all these people who have been pouring into kids generation after generation. In fact, it's interesting because Ivy, who is actually one of our leaders back there and on staff, she's like, it's crazy to think that some of these people that I'm now leading are people that changed my diaper. But it's because those individuals said, I'm going to pour into the next generation. I'm going to believe in them. I'm going to raise them up. That someone like Ivy would raise up through the church and would actually be someone who would then step into that role here at Bethany. Why? Because God is in the midst of us, moving among us, and he's looking for people like Jehoshaphat. Looking for people like her husband, who is the high priest, who actually continues to pour in. So the boy is poured into six years of being taught to know and love God. Six years of his life being impacted. And when the boy turns seven years old, her husband arranges a coup, crowning the young king, king. Goes public with him. Knowing that he's poured into this young man what he needs to know and to love the people of God. And remember, at this point in time when we're going to pick up here in this passage, Joash is now king over the entire nation of Judah, and he is how old? He's seven years old. Now listen, some of you struggle with me pastoring here at Bethany, and I'm 41. Imagine if I was seven years old. Now you may say, see, that, see I think that's ridiculous, Pastor Brian. What, why, would, why would God even do that? Well, why do we always question what God does? Why do we not ever say, God appointed, and God put that person in that role, and so I'm going to actually follow in, or I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm actually going to be a part of supporting the person that God has placed in that role. See, your responsibility is not to always remove everybody and to say, oh, I'm going to control that person, I'm going to do this. Your responsibility is to support those who God has actually put in authority. And so King Joash is declared king at seven years old. Now, do you think he needed counsel around him? Yes. Do you think he needed people praying for him? Yes. And those moments unfold, and we know that this is unfolding because in 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, it says this, But in the seventh year, Jehoda sent and brought the captains of the Karaites and the guards and had them come to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them, and he put them under an oath in the house of the Lord, and he showed them the king's son. So what does what Jehovah do? She, he actually says, listen, hey, hey, listen, guys, I need you to come with me. But here's the deal. Like in the house of God, I need you to make an oath right now that you're not going to say anything and that you will follow after what you're getting ready to see. you got to trust me on this. And so the guards do. It says, he commanded them, this is the thing that you shall do. One third of you, those of you who come off duty on the Sabbath and the guards in the king's houses shall guard the palace. I mean, this is just like a movie. Can you imagine? I can picture all these different soldiers who are coming in. It says, and two divisions of you which come in duty in force on the Sabbath and guard the house of the Lord on behalf of the king shall surround the king, each one with a weapon in his hand. So imagine all these grown men with weapons in hand, shields in arm, gathered around the seven-year-old king. says, and whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death. It's like, listen, we ain't messing around. Be with the king, and when he goes out and when he comes in, 
The captains did according to all that Jehoda the priest commanded, and they brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoda the priest. And the priest gave to the captains the spears and the shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of the Lord. Just on a pause for just a quick side note here. Man, listen, when God has a plan, he also has provision. And so God had a plan for Joash to still be king. Why? Because there was a story that was unfolding. There was a narrative that was still unfolding. And he said, listen, I got everything you need. Weapons, shields, I got it all. It goes on to say, which were in the house of the Lord and the guards stood, every man with his weapons in hand from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and around the house on behalf of the king, the seven-year-old king, remember. Then he brought out the king's son and he put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. What is the testimony? Well, he stood out there and said, listen, everyone. This king right here, King Joash, he is the one true ruler. Seven years old, I know. But he is the one that God has appointed for such a time as this. What you may not even know is for the past six years, my wife and I have been raising him to know God, to love God, in the midst of a culture around them that is continuing to say, listen, these are the things you worship. We've been teaching the one true king what it means to worship the one true God. And in the midst of all of that, what was happening is the next generation was being prepared for such a time as this. And it says this, they proclaimed him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands saying, long live the king. But then the queen comes back in. The queen hears all the commotion. She's like, she's kind of like freaking out. It says, when she heard the noise of the guards and of the people, she went into the house of the Lord to the people. So now she comes in. She hasn't been coming into the house of the Lord, or she probably would have seen that here was Joash, this young man. But she doesn't come. But now she comes because there's a commotion. Now she comes because she's hearing something taking place. And it says when she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar. See, she knew. He was right in the spot. According to the custom, and the captains and the trumpeteers besides the king and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. It says this, that the queen tore her clothes and she cried, treason, treason. Why would she cry treason? Because she's like, how is this happening? How is this unfolding? This, this doesn't make sense. You're going against me. But then the priest commanded the captains who were set over the army. He said, bring her out between the ranks and put to death with the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest said, let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So, so some were like, Hey, wait, 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 wait. We know you're the high priest. We're not trying to come against you or anything like that. But, but maybe, just maybe, we shouldn't kill her in church today. And they're like, oh, yeah, that probably, yeah. Okay, all right, fine. So they laid hands on her. So they grab her. And she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house. And there she was put to death. So they take her to the appropriate place and they... And they Take care of her. Here's the woman who's been queen for six years is now being dethroned. Because why? Because a hidden figure decided to pour into the next generation. 
Because a hidden figure said, I believe that I'm raising kings and queens. A hidden figure said, I believe that God has called me and equipped me to raise the next generation, to pour into the next generation, to protect the next generation. See, the whole reason behind the lower level has nothing to do with environment and like, oh, so we can say, wow, we have a great kids area. It's so that we can actually impact the lives of kids across our entire county. Because why? Because kids are growing up in homes where there's no fathers. Kids are growing up in homes where they don't have hope. Kids are growing up in homes where they actually don't don't think there is a plan and purpose for their life, and they're being told that the things of this world, the false, empty, bale worship garbage that's out there is all you have, and yet we need people who will be hidden figures who will step into the scene of a child's life and will say, no, 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 let me teach you about the one true God. No, let me teach you about what it means to have hope in the midst of hopelessness. Let me teach you what it means to know and love God and to take steps. And yeah, I understand you're going to make mistakes along the way, but guess what? I will be your big cheerleader who will be beside you saying, hey, listen, it's okay. Get back up. Okay, it's okay. Come on, we can do this. Hey, it's all right. And guess what would happen? If, if, if we would be hidden figures behind the scenes pointing to the next generation, what we would see is we would see our nation begin to turn. We would begin to see our cities begin to turn. We would begin to see our, our country begin to turn. We begin to see this world begin to turn because the next generation, God has a plan and purpose for their lives. And if we could teach our kids to know God, to experience God, and to know who they are as sons and daughters of the king, man, they'd be unstoppable. And that's exactly what happens for Joash. So it says this, all the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet after the queen had been put to death with the sword at the king's house. Jehoash, which would be Joash, it's just an alternate spelling here, was seven years old when he began to reign. And in the seventh year of Jehu, Joash began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. And Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, notice this. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days. Why? Because a hidden figure instructed him. Because someone behind the scenes instructed him. Because Jehoshaphat saved him. Jehoshaphat poured into him. And her and her husband said, we're going to do this together. We're going to pour into the future king. And you know what? All his days he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But then it's interesting. Because what we then next read is this. It says, nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. And the people continued to sacrifice and make offerings. Now we skipped over this a little bit earlier. What had happened was when the queen was killed, all the people went and tore down the temple of Baal. They killed the priest who was there and they said, we don't want to have anything to do with Baal worship, with that of King Ahab and Jezebel. We are people of God. We want to have nothing to do with that. So they destroyed the temple. And then Joash lives a life where he actually leads the people of God in a way that actually calls the people to righteousness. And in, in the eyes of the Lord, he does what is right. But nevertheless, the people, even though the leader was doing what God had called, the people, the scriptures tell us, 
leave the high places. Now you may say, well, what's the deal about the high places? Why, why would the scripture even mention this? The high places was where the people went and made sacrifice and did burnt offerings, not to the one true God, but to Baal. The temple was separate from the place of offerings. So what do we see here? Well, we see the people say a little bit of sin is no big deal. I mean, come on, we tore down the temple. I mean, we're not, we're not doing that. It's just a little bit of sin. It's not that big of a deal. But as we read the story, as you continue to read, what you'll find is the king, King Joash, the people actually conspire against him. And after like 40-some years, they actually conspire against him and kill him. And then the people, instead of continuing to follow the one true God, actually reintroduce Baal worship, and all of a sudden they just start going all the way down again. They forget about all of it. Why? Because they left a little bit of sin in their life. Now, can I remind you of something to kind of bring the spirit back up? God always wins. Come on, God always wins. So you don't have to worry about the story you know, going to a bad place because God always wins. Listen, in your life, God always wins. In this church, God always wins. God is, is the one who is constantly redeeming. He's the one who is constantly calling his children back to himself. I know it seems pretty simplistic to say that God always wins, but it really is just a simple truth that even when people like this evil, wicked queen try to stomp out an entire family and put an end to God's plan, doesn't happen because why because God is bigger and always wins God's battle plans never lose hey let me share with you four takeaways from our story today four takeaways from the story that I believe you can apply to your life the first is this it's really easy living in evil doesn't make you evil so make a choice living in evil doesn't make you evil so make a choice the second is this the church should be a place of refuge. The church should be a place of refuge. And I'll unpack these here in a minute. The third is this, is redemption is always in God's storyline. Redemption is always in God's storyline. He's always calling his children back to himself. And the fourth is this, is when you leave sin in your life, it destroys you later. When you leave sin in your life, it destroys you later. Let's unpack this first one real quick. Living in evil doesn't make you evil. Make a choice. Now think about it. Jehoshaphat, she's living in two generations of very, very evil women in her family. Her example has been Queen Jezebel. Her example has been Ormi. You see all these evil people who she has had impacting her life. But yet Jehoshaphat chooses not to follow the queen not to follow Jezebel, she actually chooses to follow God. Even in the midst of the evil, she says, I will be different. And her faithfulness prepared her to then be the wife of the high priest, who God would use to be an instrumental part in helping the nation of Judah continue. See, as people of God, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been empowered to do the work of the ministry. We are called to be leaders in our culture. We are not to be people who are influenced by evil. We are people who are influencing evil. 
We are ones who say, you know what? My light shines into darkness. And because I'm light and that's darkness, guess what always invades darkness? Light. You and I are greater because of who is living inside of us. And as leaders, you have to overcome bad influences in your own life. You have to make difficult choices that are sometimes even countercultural. Listen, I have good news for you. Just because you are surrounded by evil, that doesn't make you evil. I hear people say this all the time. Well, my mom was that way. Oh, my dad was that way. It's just a generational thing. Oh, my workplace. If you understood, Pastor Brian, what I work in and all these different things. And can I just tell you, you can be surrounded by evil and still be light. You and I need to speak life over our situations, not death. Paul reminds us of this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. He says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. It's like, listen, you've been bought. The price has been paid. You're not your own. Give yourself for the Lord. You've been granted freedom. You just have to choose. In the midst of evil, continue to choose. The second thing is this, is the church should be a place of refuge. David described what the church should be like in Psalms chapter 27, verse 4 through 5. He says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle, and he will set me high upon a rock. What is David talking about? He's talking about you and I being a place of refuge, the church. You, the people of God. See, listen, the church is not a building. You're the church. I'm the church. And when we have judgmental attitudes, when we have moments where we hate rather than love, when we have moments where we gossip rather than speaking truth and love, what happens is is we create walls between us and the world around us. And the world says, I don't want anything to do with that. They don't turn to the church to be a place of refuge. They turn to other programs and other people. And people are spiritually hungry right now. I don't know if you know that. People are very hungry for the things of the Lord. The problem is, is that they're being presented with Baal worship, all this false truth stuff that's out there. They're saying, listen, that's the answer. And then we, the church, are saying, no, 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 Christ is the answer. But the problem is, is that they look at our lives and how we respond to others around us, and they go, I don't want to be like that person. If that's how Jesus is, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And what we're being called to is a higher standard. The church should be a place of refuge, a place filled not with judgment and not with fear, but a place filled with love and with acceptance. A place not filled with control and manipulation, but a place that comes with freedom and and actually allowing people to experience the presence of God. See, history many times gives us a great insight into things that are happening around us. Do you know in the Persian Gulf War, I I love history, so it's one of the things I, I love to read about and study about, but in the Persian Gulf War, 25% of American soldiers were actually killed by friendly fire. And what I think is so crazy in the church is that we love to shoot our wounded. Someone falls and we go, oh, that dumb, dumb. Or we use other words. Oh, you need to be praying for so-and-so. I heard they committed adultery on their spouse. Play, pray, 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 pray. We hide stuff. We mask it. What God is calling us to do is to let go of the rumors, 
to let go of the gossip. Listen, I, I, man, I hear so much gossip coming across my desk. And by the time it gets to me, it's always the crazy stuff. One of the latest things I heard right now is that Bethany Child Care is supporting Bethany. That somehow Bethany Child Care, because they gave a gift to the church of $10,000 for the faith move, that, that somehow now we're like, we're basically living off of Bethany Child Care because the church is going under. Can I just tell you, that's a lie. It's not true. And here's what's crazy is, is, you, is I hear people who I look at who are credible people who are believing that garbage. And I'm like, hello, look at the source. Now, can I tell you something really cool? This, this is really cool. Let me connect some dots for you. Um, so when Krista Sharp, who is our Bethany Child Care Director, she came to us a few months back and she said, hey, Pastor Brian, I really feel like the Lord is telling me that we're supposed to give $10,000 from our surplus, which is saved for our remodel, to the faith move. And she says, I know we have a need in our own ministry, but I really feel like we're supposed to do this. So she gives, so we talk to the board and everything. We're like, okay, let's give the $10,000. She gives it. It's an awesome moment. And one of the things that they've really been needing is they want to redo all the flooring in BCC, and they're pulling out cabinets and all these different things. Can I just tell you, this is how cool God is. I, I love this stuff. This is so great. So remember, Krista gave 10000 BCC gave 10000 We were estimating their floor to cost anywhere from $15,000 to $20,000 to replace all that flooring, because it's a lot. This week, we had a, well, we had had a leak upstairs in the upper level up there, and so we had to replace some of the flooring. So I went to Carpet Outlet right down the street, and they always have remnants. And so I was hoping just to get a small remnant for the bathrooms that were up there. So I go in, and I'm talking with the owner. He gives us a great price of a dollar a square foot on premium VCT tile. Now here, but, but here, which is incredible, okay? Incredible, incredible, incredible. I mean, knocks his price way, way down. Stuff that would easily have been $3 to $4 a square foot. Here's where it gets so cool. We needed 46 or 4,600 square feet to do all of that flooring in there, plus the upstairs. They never, ever, seriously, the, the, the owner and the salesperson were like, we don't ever have that amount until now. They had 40. 700 square feet. Come on. Now, let me connect one more dot for you. That cost us less than $5,000. How much did we say it was going to originally cost? Fifteen to 20000 And I told Chris, I said, that's just like the Lord to say, hey, you know what? You gave ten. Let me take care of that and let me give you the flooring you need for $10,000 plus cheaper. How does that sound? Yay, God. Come on now. So don't believe the lies that are out there. Don't believe the garbage. Psalms 46, 1 through 3, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear through the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, through the mountains tremble at its swelling. Listen, you and I can be in a place of refuge. That's what the church is called to be. 
to be a place where those who aren't strong enough to bear with the failings of the weak, we are to actually find ourselves in a, in a moment like Romans talks about in 15.1, where we don't do it to please ourselves. We pour into the next generation. So we don't criticize. We don't judge. We don't worry. We actually are patient with everyone around us, and we say, I'm going to pour into them. The third thing is this, is the redemption is always in God's storyline. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You and I are called to tell our stories, and it is a story of redemption. David said it this way in Psalms 107, verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Listen, God's story is a story of redemption, but here is the last point, and this is the big one. When you leave sin in your life, it destroys you later. When Jehosh did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, so Joash, King Joash, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days. Because why? Because Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. The priest poured into him. But nevertheless... Nevertheless, in spite of everything else, in spite of a godly king, in spite of people who would pour into the next generation, in spite of all of that, nevertheless, the people, they left the high places. They said, it's just a little sin, it's no big deal. Just a little bit. Just a little gossip, it's no big deal. Come on, Pastor Brian, why are you making such a big deal out of it? I've tore down these other things. The temple's gone. It's just a little high place. Come on, it helps me in these moments. Sometimes, sometimes I don't see God, and so I struggle with that, and so I just go to a little bit of this sin. Come on, Pastor Brian, I know the Bible says that drunkenness is a sin, and, and yeah, I mean, I dabble in it a little bit, but you don't understand, it helps me. Oh, I know my body's the temple, but, but it's, just, it's just a little bit. It's, just, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a little sin. I mean, I know my marriage. I, I know I need to be pouring into it, but, but Pastor Brian, it's just one look of pornography. It's just, it's just one little high place right there. I don't go to it all the time. Come on, I've asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I've allowed him to change my life. It's just a little high place. here's what I know, is we could have hidden figures all around this place pouring into the next generation, giving their heart and soul in the remix, giving their heart and soul in Bethany kids, but the people, you, me, the people could choose to leave the high places. And no matter how godly the king was, no matter how much the high priest and his wife had poured into the king. The high place, the sin, the little sin, when left undealt with, began to destroy an entire nation. And I wonder today, what part in your life and in my life do we need to get rid of? What's the sin? What's the thing? 
When was the last time you asked the Lord that? God, what is, what's the sin in my life? Is it pride? Because here's what I know is that sometimes it's not always these, you know, quote unquote, what we would say are bad sins, you know, like drugs and, you know, premarital sex or adultery or pornography. Like those are the ones that kind of get the big thing. But maybe, maybe it's just a lie. Maybe it's allowing lies and gossip to rule. See, it's the hidden sin that concerns me more than the blatant sin. When someone's blatantly sinning, it's like, okay, we can deal with that. Let's walk through that. But when someone has hidden sin, man, that's the stuff that the enemy loves to work with. Because he knows it takes kings and queens out all the time. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. So Holy Spirit, you do what you do best. In this room and this time right now, I just pray that you'd begin to speak to people's hearts speak to people's lives. Holy Spirit, I ask that right now in this room that you would begin to invade your people with your presence. Maybe you're here today. You sense and feel the presence of God. You've, you sensed it earlier in the gathering when we were worshiping. Throughout this message, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to your heart. And now you're in this place right now where I'm going to ask you just to ask the Lord a simple question. And it's this. What's the high place? What's the sin that nevertheless I've left on the side? What's the thing you're asking me to tear down? Yeah, I've dealt with these other big areas, but man, there's this side thing, nevertheless, that I've been leaving See, if you're here in this room today and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there was a moment when that that temple was torn down. But for some of us, we've allowed sin to just kind of run over here on the side, nevertheless. And God today is saying, nevertheless, I want to set you free from that. Come on, people of God. Come on, people of God. Don't allow sin to rule your life. Come on, people of God. Don't allow it to sit over there like it's your friend. Come on, people of God. Rise up. Be who God's called you to be. Take authority over your thoughts. Take authority over your choices and actions. Come on, be the people of God who would say, you know what? Not only the temple is going down, but man, the high places, the side sin, the the side things I keep messing with, I'm going to get rid of that right now. I want to be a king who knows whose he is. I want to be a king who could stand before the Lord. Could say, I didn't do it perfectly, but I did receive. And I chose to follow after God. With heads bowed and eyes closed real quickly. If you're here today, I'm not asking if this is a first time salvation moment. I'm not asking like if, like many of you in this room, like you've been living for Jesus for a long time, but you've allowed a high place of sin to kind of sit over here on the side. And today God is saying, listen, I want to tear that high place down. And I believe that it's going to come through a moment of you acknowledging this little area over here. Listen, not with shame, not with anything, but with freedom right now. I'm going to ask if that's you today, you'd say, you know what? There's a high place in my life. The Holy Spirit's speaking to me right now. He's speaking to my heart and he wants to tear that down. I know it. If that's you right now, would you just raise your hand. Come on, you just say, that's me. Hands all over the room. All over the room. Come on, hands all over the room. All over the room. Father, we pray right now for every hand that is raised. 
God, there's some high places that you want to tear down. So Holy Spirit, across this room in this moment, in these times, God, there are, there are hands all across this room. And here's what I know, God. You desire to meet with each and every person, God, in this moment, in this time. And so, Father, we ask that you would tear down those high places. As these hands are raised, they're saying, listen, God, you are more important than the high places. And I believe that you can set me free. So, Father, right now, I pray that freedom would rule and reign in the hearts and the lives of every person who is raised their hand this morning and said, listen, I want that torn down. So, Father, I know that you're a faithful God who hears their prayers right now. And so, Father, I pray that you would hear their prayer and you would answer it. I pray that you would tear down those strong places, those high places that they have in their life. Maybe these side things. God, I pray that today freedom would come to your house, God. That today men and women would realize that they are sons and daughters of the king. That they would understand that they are kings and queens. That they have an identity and a purpose. And that identity and purpose has nothing to do with the high places. No, those high places are torn down and the authority and power of Jesus Christ, and we command right now that the enemy is defeated. We command right now that sin has no place. We command right now that freedom will rule and reign in the hearts of your people, God. We are your sons. We are your daughters. So, Father, be here in this place in these times. In Jesus' name, all who would agree would say amen. Amen. God bless you guys.